Hello, Michelle Laurie here, and as promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane, and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio, or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so you know we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian True Crime Live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and to Aboriginal elders emerging. Hello, friends. Couple of quick updates. First thing is, little Mary did not come home the other night, but then she did. And I thought, okay, it's netting. It has to be netting. And so I found another guy. So I think we're going to go netting. Thank you so much to everybody who sent all the suggestions about how to keep my naughty cat inside or inside my yard. And even the people who offered to come over and build me cat runs. And even the people who thought I'm a complete idiot and said, why don't you just keep her inside? Yeah, like I get it, but, you know, like I live with kids and old people 
Doesn't really work that way. Shut the door, mate. Doesn't really work, does it? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I know, you're always sorry. Everyone's always sorry. Anyway. Oi, the other news is, for those of you who are in Melbourne, I'm so sorry it's always Melbourne, Melbourne, but it's not for much longer, promise. Sandra Pankhurst, beautiful, beautiful Sandra Pankhurst, also known as the trauma cleaner, is going to be on stage with Emily and I shortly in the month of November at St Kilda Town Hall. Go to our Facebook page, the events bit, and find out how you can get tickets to that. But I promise you, very early next year, I am on the road, baby, and coming to somewhere near you with some true crime. Patrons, patreon.com forward slash Aust True Crime Pod, A-U-S-T, True Crime Pod. You can go there and become a patron for $5 or $2 and get extra stuff every month and keep me in the manner to which I've become accustomed, which is, you know, up and down. But I'm very grateful because this is really my job now and I'm very grateful for that. Very, very oh-so-grateful that this is my job. What a wonderful job it is too, to be helping people tell their stories and to have the best listeners ever in the world and to never have to talk about The Bachelor. Ooh, I love it. Okay, on with the show. The following podcast contains content of a graphic, violent nature and is not suitable for children. Over the last almost 12 years now, I've had to travel back to Bulgaria to see Jock, probably for over 40 times. Jock has learnt to cope with the prison system. Every single day, Jock has had to fight for something. It might be food, it might be clothing, it might be for a privilege or against a punishment. And over that time, I've seen Jock grow into a stronger person. An Australian man detained for 11 years in Bulgaria has been granted parole by a panel of judges. When I woke up that morning and I actually saw that Jock had been released from prison and had been granted parole, it was a fantastic moment. was a decision that could not be appealed. We even started planning how to bring him home and where he would stay. Unfortunately, it did prove to be a short-lived feeling of relief because it wasn't long after that that things really started to spiral again out of control. There were all the familiar problems that we'd experienced before with the justice system and being subject to... uh, interference by um, politicians and powerful people within Bulgaria. That's Dr Simon Pelframan from Newcastle and his wife Helen speaking to ABC's Australian story about his son Jock, who's now in his early 30s, but who was a teenager when he decided university wasn't for him and instead he'd go travelling. Many young Australians head to Europe in search of adventure, of course, but frankly, few of us have Jock's imagination when it comes to where to look for it. I have to say, Bulgaria isn't a destination I've ever considered when making up an itinerary. 
I've certainly never considered spending months on end there. And most travellers don't respond to the looming end of their visa by joining the British Army. But Jock Palfreman is anything but your usual traveller. This is Australian True Crime with Michelle Laurie and Emily Webb. Come with us as we go beyond the news cycle to find out how people become killers, how people become victims and what happens next. There's a link to the episode of Australian Story chronicling Jock's misadventure in Bulgaria in the show notes and on our Facebook page. And the producer of the episode, Belinda Hawkins, joins us today. She's been reporting on the story since it first unfolded in 2007. And she's gotten to know Jock and his family here in Australia pretty well. They even entrusted her to write their story in a book called Every Parent's Nightmare. We started our conversation by asking Belinda how it was that Jock Palfreman, the confident, outspoken, well-educated son of professionals from Newcastle, Australia, came to be convicted of the murder of Andrei Modov, the confident, outspoken, well-educated son of professionals from Sofia, Bulgaria. Jock was going to be having Christmas with his aunt, who lives out of London, made a toss-of-the-coin decision, literally a toss-of-the-coin decision, to fly back to Bulgaria to catch up with friends for the couple of weeks he had off in 2007 with an English friend of his who, who had a place in a village in the mountains and an English woman who was their mate. The three of them spent Christmas sledding, laughing, having a few drinks. Uh, Jock went and visited the friends in a nearby town whom he'd met when he lived there for some five months. Um, so he caught up with old friends. Things were all going well. He didn't really like going into the capital city. He'd seen bad things happen there. He was much happier, much more content in the mountains. Um, but on the December 27th, his English mate said, come on, let's go into Sofia for the female friends last night. Uh, let's go and have a few drinks in the capital city. Jock was like, no, no, I don't really want to do that. And then he said yes. And they had a hire car out the front of the place. They were staying. And they were all in the hire car. And suddenly Jock remembered he didn't have his identity papers on. He rushed inside grabbed whatever it was, a passport or an ID card, and next to it was his mate's um, butterfly knife, and he pocketed it. And off they went. They went to a bar in the centre of the city and were there for quite a few hours, and Jock was busy talking politics to a, a young Bulgarian there in, you know, who had some reasonable English, and they were talking about you know, the ultras in football, in football, which is soccer for them. They were talking about politics. They were talking about all kinds kinds of things. And at about one in the morning, they left the bar and they went to this square called uh, St. Nadalia Square. And they went to try to get some phone charge, a phone card to charge up one of their phones. And while they were waiting at this kiosk, which is at the top, the top corner of the, of the square, uh, the Bulgarian new friend could hear this uh, chanting or singing coming from the metro station on the other side of the square. And he said, come on, we've got to get away from here. Those sound like football hooligans. And so they ran across the road and um, most of them hid behind a wall that was there on the edge of a restaurant. Jock kept looking up to see what was going on. And he always said he saw this group, or a couple of them anyway, having some kind of argument with two what he thought were Roma, and then chase after the Roma and then attack one of the Roma. 
And at that point, he ran across the road, ran across the square and intervened. He's always said the attack then turned on him. And at that point, he took the knife out of his pocket. It was a, a butterfly knife. He opened it up with both hands and raised it in the air. Across the road is a, a big hotel. It was the Sheraton. It was called the Sheraton at that stage. And it had car park attendants. Two of the car park attendants remember seeing a man who, who they what were worried was a, was one of the guests at the Sheraton because he was speaking English, shouting in English. They saw him holding this knife up in the air saying, get away, get away. Jock has always said that he thought by bringing that knife out it would frighten the probably 12 to 15 young men who were throwing punches and kicks at the Roma on the ground. He was standing over the, the Roma on the ground, the gypsy on the ground. Anyway, the, 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 the fight sort of moved from that one corner near the metro station and moved back across to closer to where the, uh, where the kiosk was. And at that, point, at that point, CCTV footage shows Jock being surrounded by the young men and lumps of paver, so concrete, is being thrown at him. He, he always remembered being hit in the head, he fell to the ground, he thought his life was over, he, he told himself he had to get up and after that he doesn't remember anything. When I watch the CCTV, I can see him that he's hit in the head and that he gets up and he m moves forward in probably a defensive manner, probably with the knife, you can't see that level of detail, and then he tries to escape and the group rushes after him. Mm. The defence never, ever led that because he never remembered it and the CCTV wasn't taken seriously. So they chase after him and he's he has always said then he was turning around and around because they have him surrounded around and around with the knife outstretched, trying to keep a safety field around him. And they're still throwing lumps of pavement and there's lots of bits of broken pavement wherever you go in Sofia. And they're throwing stuff at him and at a certain point one of the, one of the group backs away and falls on the ground, and we have to assume that's Andre Monoff. And he sustains a knife wound under his armpit, which slides between two ribs and goes into his heart, and he dies later on the way to the ambulance. But Jock at that point was said that he was calling out, police, police, help, police, police. You know, you can't hear any audio on CCTV, but certainly two two guards, probably from the bank that's not far away, come and the group is still trying to get at Jock and the guards hold them at bay. And he, Jock, has hurled himself to the ground uh, with his arms outstretched and at that point he sees the knife and he sees he's got blood on it and he goes, oh, my God, what has happened? That's his account. Um, but you see in the CCTV he's lying on the ground and his arms are outstretched. And then police are called. Police take him away. The ambulance leaves with Andre Monoff. And Jock is taken to a police station and he's never... Uh, until the last couple of weeks, he's been incarcerated, fully incarcerated. Mm. And until reading your book, I was under the impression that... Jock had a history, a violent history, a history of even knife crime. I had this idea in the back of my mind that at some stage during the process we'd learned that he presents as a gentle guy but he's actually got some kind of history of, of knife violence. Where does that come from? Well, firstly, everybody will have anyone who has known Jock through school and through rowing, for example, or through social life 
uh, on the North Shore of Sydney will have their own version of what kind of person Jock is or isn't, of course. Of all of us, though, right? I mean, if, if, if any of us is put through this level of scrutiny, can you imagine how many versions of us would come out? But Absolutely and undoubtedly, and, and, and he, he's not just your run-of-the-mill person. No. But several days after he was arrested, an article appeared in the Daily Telegraph, the Sydney version of, of the News Limited papers, mm. And and it was an allegation by two men, one who who name who used his full name, and the other who just used his um, uh, first name, and they alleged that Jock had attacked them at a party several years before in Chatswood, so in a sub in a suburb in Sydney, and um, that they'd been just going about their business at this party, and and suddenly he attacked them with a knife, and that they'd gone to hospital with a knife, and that article went straight from the Daily Telegraph and, and newspaper stands in Sydney to the prosecutor's file and then ultimately when the court when Jock's trial began into the court case. And it wasn't admitted officially as evidence, but it was there in the court file. And it has played a part in in discussions about Jock's guilt or innocence ever since. That's one uncorroborated set of allegations published by a newspaper with devastating yeah. devastating consequences the truth may lie anywhere but the bottom line fact is that interpol interpol um, says jock has no convictions in australia or anywhere else he's been when i did an foi to police they said, yes, there was an incident on the date you're saying. No, Jock wasn't charged. No, Jock wasn't arrested. Um, many people were um, questioned and, and, and a perpetrator hasn't been found. So that's where it lies. The other thing I discovered was there were, it wasn't just these two. You know, when I questioned him about it, he says, Jock appeared suddenly. He, he came because his, his brother said there were gate crashes coming. So he, he appeared on the scene at his brother's friend's party because there were these gate crashes, among them those who have levelled the allegation. And he saw um, his brother's friend in strife and he picked him up and took him to safety and he called the ambulance, so says the friend. So look, that party, what happened, what didn't happen, whether this was some sort of rivalry between different groups on the North Shore with 19-year-olds, who knows? Bottom line is, Jock was a clean skin, officially, when it comes to charges. I was horrified at how readily I had factored that into my understanding of him and the case and yeah. y y how, well, how easily those stories enter the zeitgeist. And then when something happens, because I've worked for a newspaper organisation, and, um, you know, when something happens, you've got to get any angle you can on mm. that story. So you're looking, you're looking, and stuff does get published pretty easily and probably yeah. worse now than back in 2007. You can just make things so much worse for people. And I think as journalists we all have to be mindful of that. When, when you're in a country where it's our legal system, where judges are a bit more separated yeah. from the investigation, which is not the case in Bulgaria, their system is what's known as the inquisitorial system and so the judge is like an investigator as well as you know what we know as a judge and will look at everything not just what's admissible but in any event if someone is about to or is now facing very serious charges to throw things in from 
out of left field, which I can see as a journalist would be interesting material. Is there a backstory here? Is there a precedent here? Have they done this before? Yeah, it's just, it's a very dodgy thing. But now Jock Polferman is back in the news and people want to look at all different angles of him and I understand that. As a news, as once upon a time a news reporter, I would want to do the same. So you want to go behind the name, you want to develop a sense of who that person was. Well, particularly if he's being portrayed as this ultimate heroic character. Yeah, true. But so if there is someone else saying to you, no, 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 yeah. this is a man who has a history of knife violence, that's a very interesting angle to follow up if there is proof of it. I don't you know. think, in two, as I say, I don't think in two, at the end of 2007, start of 2008, I don't think people saw him as a hero. I think people for a long time after that too say an Australian brought out a knife? Are yeah. you kidding? And he was quite like thinking of him when you're describing of him waving that knife around with people who, were, were they soccer hooligans? Because um, that's pretty brave because soccer hooligans kind of, or people of that ilk don't really have that much I'll fear, I'll tell you my they? question, Belinda, and you, you know Jock and his family. My question, the more I read about him and learn about him is to me he sounds like an ADHD guy or yeah. people ask me that all the time is he on the spectrum is he I don't think he's a spectrum dweller at all mm. um spectrum dweller oh, that's, that's a beautiful cool, that's way really of saying good. it yes yeah. yeah anything like that I think his father describes him as spontaneous um and impulsive um I think those you know are appropriate okay. words uh, but I think the thing when I first one it, when I first talked to Simon, Simon, uh, and then I finally, Simon agreed to meet with me, like he was very reluctant. After that Daily Telegraph, after the incident of a newspaper bringing out these allegations and it, and, and it having gone immediately into a court file and so forth, he was wary about talking to any journalist. So when Simon did agree to meet me, he showed me, because I wanted to understand who, who is this man, your son, so he showed me uh, the report written by a Bulgarian court-appointed panel of psychiatrists and psychologists. And later I went and interviewed the psychiatrist and one of the psychologists on that panel. Their expert evidence to the Bulgarian court was that Jock was not violent by nature. He was spontaneous. He was impulsive. The overriding character trait that he had was he was driven by a sense of social justice. And when you meet Jock... And everyone, of course, will form their own opinion. Since 2009, when I first went to the prison, I've had lots of arguments over politics at the moment, over history, <laughs> over, you know, what train is the best one to get from Turkey to Sofia. <laughs> I mean, what really comes across at you is that even now, even after being locked away for 11, nearly 12 years, he he is like a burst of energy. He's a tall fellow. He'll laugh a lot. He doesn't force himself on you in terms of an argument, but he prosecutes his argument with a, with a vivaciousness and an energy that both energises you, the listener, makes you have to think really fast to keep up with it, and it gives you a sense of a life source. He just grasps life by the jugular and and gives it a good shake and gets the most out of every moment and believes in the moment. Yes, that's a fair description. And there's plenty of young guys like that who, you know, go travelling and they're just 
They hang out with people. Yeah, because you meet so many people when you go overseas and you're just in the moment and you don't really think of any consequences. And, well, I think that – so I think, first of all, Jock will go – he won't go looking at architecture, right? So when I travel, I've always loved looking – you know, I learn about the people in a place by looking at the architecture. Uh, he will he will just go and find someone in an airport, someone on the street to talk to. He likes meeting and being with people. He is absolutely a people person. That's still what's motivating him. The other thing that drives him is, uh, it, you know, is doing the right thing. Um, now, is he misguided on some ways that he goes about things? Many will say yes. Was it was it misguided thinking that pulling out a knife um, was going to frighten people away? Many will say yeah, yes. Twelve years in a Bulgarian prison I says know. yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, well, a, a dead person says yeah, yes. Yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah. Did did it haunt Jock? It's another question that I'm often asked. You know, does he feel any remorse? Um, when I first started interviewing him, he talked of this recurring inability to lie on his side or on his stomach because he he could hear his heart beating and he couldn't bear that because he couldn't bear the idea that he might have been responsible for putting a knife into someone's heart. He couldn't bear that idea that someone had died. The other thing he couldn't bear was thinking about, and he had, of course, he mulled over and over and over it, that a family, he knew how much his parents loved him, that a, that a family had lost their child and that a person's life had been snuffed out. That speaks to me of remorse. Did he remember at the time having, you know, that he was the one who, who, who put a knife in, in between somebody's two ribs? No. And, and when I come to look at that CCTV footage, I can see that he has just tried to escape a group however much he may or may not have been responsible for things escalating or not escalating at that moment he had been he'd been knocked out he'd got up he'd tried to escape from the group the group had chased after him and he's then in a fight for his life i i i now once i saw that footage in 2012 having examined all the court file having interviewed so many of the witnesses i'm quite sure he was in he was in he was in a flight mode mm. um, and he was just trying to survive. And if his knife was the knife that intersected with the victim, it's very, very likely in the swirl of all that activity that he would have no idea. But did he feel a horror that yeah. he might have been the one who inflicted that wound? Absolutely. Would he say that now? Probably not. Eleven and a half years have followed and a lot of stuff has happened since then that has made all his family angry about the young men who were there that night, the young man who died and the young man who died's family. Um, Also, he spent eleven and a half years in prison where it would do you no good to sit day in, day out feeling full of remorse, particularly no good showing that you were weeping with remorse day in day out. I don't think you'd. I don't think you'd have an easy ride in prison. Can you give us some context around the ethnic tensions that were happening in Bulgaria at the time with the Roma community? There, there was some build-up, wasn't there? Across Europe, Roma, otherwise known as gypsies, have been thought of as pickpockets and beggars and a scourge of some sort. We've seen France try to ship the Roma out of France, ship them back to wherever 
they may have come from, often to Bulgaria. We've seen attacks on Roma, we've seen Roma ghettos bulldozed down, lots of things like that. 2007, when this saga began, yes, the Roma were very much a despised minority group. Not by everybody, of course not by everybody. Um, and I think there's still there's still a, a, a minority group discriminated against by, if you like, prejudice and preconception. Uh, there's still often very poor people in that group. Uh, yes, there may well be pickpockets. Yes, lots of people have stories of that, but lots of people have stories of pickpockets from you know, people of all persuasions. Yes. I mean, with thousands of years of persecution, but there was quite a bit of tension in that specific community around that time that I think may have led Jock to take what was happening really seriously in that moment. Before Jock left to go back to Britain, uh, he'd been at a rock concert in the mountains and a, uh, a Roma man called Simo, whom I've met, uh, was attacked by a group of skinheads. And Jock had, bef- had befriended Simo earlier in the day. Suddenly Simo appeared at his tent and said, they're still after me, they're, still, they're after me, they're after me. And Jock um, hid him in the tent somehow. And then once the skinheads, the skinheads were roaming around trying to find him after knifing him in the foot. Um, and, uh, and then once they'd got, once they'd, you know, got gone past that tent, Jock's tent, Jock put Simo on the back of his motorbike and drove him out of the festival area to safety and Simo has remained forever grateful to Jock. So Jock had seen firsthand uh, the kind of attacks on on gypsies or Roma um, and, and, and had felt repulsed by that. I lived in London for a long time and the, the traveller population was certainly always controversial. There were towns that were petitioning the council to get traveller communities off land and I was a teacher for a while and the traveller students, hugely disadvantaged and also hugely, even amongst other children who were new to the UK, they were like the most persecuted in the pecking order. They really are almost the most, I think, denigrated group of people in in Europe, I, I think. Uh, yeah, that's my sense too. Yeah. That is my sense, I, and and it, it was something that really struck me. Perhaps that partially that drew me to this whole story was when I was nineteen. I saw an ad in a in a country fair for position wanted selling sweets, and it was with a group of Roma or travellers. And so I travelled with them all around, you know, up and down. Britain. Um, I slept in the in the van that where we sold the sweets out of, and wherever wherever we went, the owners of this particular business, their children would run ahead and tell the other travellers, oh, "It's okay, it's okay. She's a traveller. She's one of us." Not to, so. So there's a wariness on both sides, I think. But they but they they were the outliers, and they were actively discriminated against by people in Britain. That's for sure. I still th- Yes, it's somewhat like Aboriginal people have been here as well. I know. Isn't it fascinating that we, we are so startled by these sorts of things when we see them in other places and somehow we don't manage to relate them to our own country and how, how relatable they actually are to situations in our own country. Jock, almost when you describe how he um, helped Simo at the, the rock constant getaway from these skinheads he's almost coming across like a folk hero I think um, 
back in 2007 or 2005, 6, 7. I don't know that he would have been seen as a folk hero. He was he was loved by those he hung out with and those he befriended. Uh, I very much can see that. I, uh, and then certainly after the incident on December 28, 2007, he was cast in the, me- in the Bulgarian media um, uh, as, a, as a monster and the father of the young man who died we'll still call him a monster. And um, one can understand mm. to a large, to, to absolutely why the father would cast him as that. You found an interesting article written by Andre Monov's father, Christo. Uh, what's his occupation? Is he a, a psychologist? Psychologist. And he's also somewhat of a media person. He often comments in the media on issues around youth violence, actually. And before his son was murdered, he wrote an article in the media about violence in society and specifically about Roma, violence against Roma. He said tragedies like this are inevitable because young ethnic Bulgarian men working hard to get ahead were understandably sick of seeing gypsies on welfare driving their stinking horse-drawn carts on the streets of a European capital where the ethnic Bulgarians hoped one day to drive their nice cars. So that gives us an impression of the way Andre Monov was raised, rightly or wrongly, that gives me an impression of the way the young man was raised. And at his funeral, there were certain notable men from government and from the legal profession present. Undoubtedly, uh, Christo Monoff, the father of the young man who died, uh, and his wife, Aksenia Monova, who's a notary, a a lawyer, uh, undoubtedly they were well connected. After I started my research, it was found that Christo Christo Monoff had been an informer during the communist time. Um, that came out because after the incident, uh, he became a politician, a politician with the party called BSP, that's like the Socialist Party, and that that ha- has lots of people who came out of the communist, if you like, regime and are often seen as the ones who grabbed assets either gave them to their mates who became the oligarchs or profited themselves from it. So there's no goodies. There's very few goodies in politics there. Uh, Or anywhere, some may argue. (laughs) Or anywhere, somewhere. Some may argue. But he he wasn't just... They weren't just your run-of-the-mill family. It's a small country and they were well-connected, undoubtedly so. Did that set in place a whole trail of corruption that undid the defence case, that's harder to prove. It is easy to say that things uh, either through ignorance on the part of the police, stupidity on the bumbling on the part of police, or through a determination that Jock was always going to be the guilty one and no other version of events would be entertained, that certainly happened. Do you think it could be a combination of endemic racism in the community and the fact that the victim's family is very well connected. That's a pretty difficult combination to fight. I think that, uh, I think in Bulgaria at that time, and I, I think even possibly still now, uh, to, have a, to, 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 to have this picture painted of a foreigner come and take out the flower of Bulgarian youth, uh, you know, a young l- law student who comes from a good family, not some numb knuckle who comes from the street or something like that, comes from a good family and it's a foreigner who takes him out. It, it, it tugs at the heartstrings of, of nationalism and there is a big 
element of nationalism and that plays out in all parts of politics and and the judiciary and every other aspect of society not for all bulgarians of course but there is a flank for which that's a very key uh, thing so jock was a foreigner um, he was purportedly he was saying he was going to rescue a, a gypsy <laughs> as the bail judge said to me you know, that was an unbelievable story. Like, who in their right mind would rescue a Roma, a gypsy? She said that quite kind of, you know, outrightly. Um, and the victim, the victim comes from a, you know, respected family. Nothing, I mean, it was always going to be an uphill battle. It's like the worst it's scenario. the worst scenario. That's it. It's very hard to fight. Jock Palfreman hasn't exactly endeared himself to the Bulgarian government during his time in prison. We'll hear more about that after the break. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Coming up on Australian True Crime... Belinda explains why Jock's parole is different to everyone else's parole in Bulgaria and why he's still not home. But first, we tend to hear a lot about the living conditions of Australian prisoners in Asian prisons like Karabakan, for example, in Bali. But we don't know a lot about Bulgarian prisons. Belinda's been inside and she describes it to us. For most of the time, for other than the last two years, he's been in the high security prison called Sophia Central Prison. Uh, and um, it's different from the prison in Indonesia. It's possibly more akin to a prison I went to recently in Cambodia, where an Australian woman called Yoshe Taylor was kept. Um, but yes, it's a crumbling stone building um electrical wires all hanging out everywhere, power sockets hanging out. Um, uh, the food comes by on a, on a trolley for foreigners and it's, it's uh, half a piece of liver once a week. It's that, that kind of thing. Um, it's it, very not no hot water half the time, no cold water half the time. 
No, it's 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 a long way from something you would expect in the European Union. It's mm. a long way from that. And Bulgarian prisons uh, and and the treatment of prisoners um, have been roundly condemned uh, by agencies across Europe uh, and elsewhere in the world. And he would be in with some very seriously dangerous kind of people. And he, I imagine, going in as a a young man as he was, would be terrifying. And I think I always think of his story as a parent and how, like, this would be my worst nightmare. As the book suggests, yes. Yeah, that's right, exactly. It was perfect. He had to learn very fast how to survive in prison and he had to figure pretty quickly that if you if you walked around looking meek and mild, you would be targeted as a victim and you'd become one. So much better to lead from the front foot and that is in keeping with his character anyway. But I've no doubt that he sorted some people out who were being bullies. I've no doubt about that. I've no doubt that he was a retiring person on that level. But that's the way to survive. And as a parent, you would all you would do is fear that you would get another phone call and mm. it would be that your son's coming home in a body bag. Yes. And, and that, that was the Polfram and that was Simon Polframan's nightly dread as he as he tried to go to sleep that that phone would ring and it would be the worst and he happened. is in so many ways jocks opposite isn't he i mean you write about during the court case their disagreements in how to handle so many things because simon is so retiring and his attitude is let's take our time let's go slower let's not do anything that will come back later to haunt us and Jock was sort of saying, go harder, get us a, hire us an investigator. Let's prove this. Let's prove that. Let's find evidence. So much more energetic, you know, is always the word. What can you tell us about that relationship and how has that, that relationship coped over the years of imprisonment? That was one of the things that really drew me also to this story. I wanted to watch what a, what a father-son relationship would look like put under so much pressure for the father trying to work out what on earth happened and for the son in this case to to work out how to how to deal with prison as well as how to find evidence then try to work out how best to to argue the case to deal with court and and all of those things with money with everything mm. they were always going to argue anybody would argue any child and parent or husband and wife in that situation would argue it would tear most relationships apart Dr. Simon Polferman is a pathologist by trade. He is, you know, quietly spoken, uh, likes to keep lists, likes to, to feel that he's understood every element of anything he's talking about before he says it. Jock left school at the end of year 12 and had been travelling the world and is a burst of energy. They approach things differently. Simon may agonise over what Jock is or isn't doing or what he's saying or not saying. But he, he now says it's up to Jock what he wants to do and Jock needs to be listened to. Uh, not because Jock was always right, but because Jock uh, has very definite views and, and has an insight that perhaps people here, his family here, don't have to what's going on. I'm sure he's an expert now, having started the... The Bulgarian Prisoners Rehabilitation Association. Yeah, so that's an incredible achievement to have started that organisation in a country that I'm sure was not, or a legal system that I'm sure was not supportive of starting an organisation like that. So when all of Jock's court case had finished, so he, his trial finished and he was convicted of murder with hooliganism and attempted murder in 2009, then he appealed 
that in 2010 and then he went down on that and then appealed to the highest court in 2011. So... In the lead-up to 2011, he, Jock and some other prisoners, particularly some a fellow with a life sentence, so who had nothing to lose, they'd started talking about corruption in the prison, bad things being done by prison authorities to prisoners, undeservingly, and they started talking about setting up something like a union. In 2012, a big human rights organisation, helped Jock take that proposal to a Bulgarian court and have it officially listed as an NGO. And that was a major success. The human rights organisation tic-tacked with Jock and some of the other members of of Jock's association and gathered from them, you know, what were some examples, egregious examples of, you know, abuse in... Sophia Central Prison, but also because they would hear of abuse elsewhere. And together, the association, so Jock, and this human rights group called the Bulgaria Helsinki Committee took cases of prisoners other than Jock to the European Court of Human Rights and had a number of wins. And that's been Jock's... That's driven Jock ever since. Yeah, And that's still driving him. Um, And for a while in 2015... There was this interlude with a reformist justice minister in Bulgaria and a reformist deputy justice minister, which is the person in charge of prisons. And they went to see Jock and the association in prison to seek their views. A a European Commission group looking at the problems in Bulgarian prisons sought a report by Jock and the association into what he saw as the problems in the prison and... Unfortunately, that report was then passed on to the the prison minister, the deputy justice minister, uh, who comes from the current one, comes from a far-right party. And almost immediately, Jock was given all these punishments for seemingly, you know, nothing. Trumped up punishments almost, if not completely trumped up. And the message there was very clear. You, you, You give us a bad rap, you meddle... You meddle with you. You keep meddling the way you're doing, and we will see you never get parole. Because if you have a whole list of punishments, you know you've been oh, yeah. ticked off in prison. Of course, you can't get parole. Yes. What, what's the political um, situation in Bulgaria right now? Like, who, who is the party in in power? It's a more right wing party than the one I was talking about, the Socialist Party. It's a more right wing party called GERB, G E R B, or known as GERB. Uh, but it runs, it's in power um, only with the help of a far-right party called VRMO, an extremist party, an extremist nationalist party. And in Bulgaria now, and has been for some time, there is this tension between those who want to embrace being part of the European Union and Bulgaria became a member state in 2007, the year Jock was arrested. So those who want to embrace being a member of the European state want to fulfil the requirements to be a member state, and that is to have a justice system that ticks over, you know, according to European expectations. And those who really would rather stay part of the Soviet model, uh, which which is like their old days, their old guard would, would think that way. And so the extreme right is in that camp. The prosecutor general, it's you know, I think it's pretty well felt, is in that camp. But there are reformist 
politicians, they're not in power. Uh, there are reformist uh, judges and there are reformist um, uh, lawyers and reformist, you know, people generally. And there's this clash between the two. And there have been protests on the streets of Bog Area, a very big one uh, just in the last few days, about the um, about the election of the next Prosecutor-General uh, who was anointed by the current one and is and, and with nobody else being able to run against him. So it was a done deal. And he seems to have the same politics. He's even more hardline, if you like. So their system at the moment is that this extreme far-right party um, has a seat at the table, a very important seat at the table, when it comes to justice issues and when it comes to jock, and that's the deputy justice position in charge of prisons. So what's your sense of what will happen then? He's in this really strange limbo land where, on one hand, he has parole, which is contingent on his leaving Bulgaria... On the other hand, though, there's this very special law has been brought in that he must not leave Bulgaria. Yeah, so he, so just to back up on that, in, in July this year, Jock applied for parole. He was eligible to apply for parole at 10 years. He'd already served 11 years. He applied for parole and he didn't get it. And the prison, uh, the, the head of the prison and the... Um, the prison minister, the deputy justice minister, all argued, you know, he wasn't rehabilitated enough, he'd been a bad boy in prison and so forth. Then in September, uh, he appealed it. It was a new panel of judges in a higher court, the appeal court. And in a sense, he was just lucky. He got three so-called reformist judges. Mm. And they said, we are granting you parole, but you must leave Bulgaria and not come back for five years. Um, and you must leave as soon as you have the paperwork. So the next day... He was taken out of prison and taken to a detention centre because he didn't have a passport. His passport had expired and so forth. And within two days, Australia got him a passport. But within that period, the far right was mounting protests. The father of the young man who died, the parents of the young man who died, petitioned the prosecutor general and said, don't let him leave the country, put him back in prison. The prosecutor general then made this unprecedented appeal to an even higher court. There's no, it wasn't the changing of a law. It's never happened before. Right. And many would say it was illegal because the court that granted Jock parole is a final court. There, there is no if, buts or maybes after it makes a decision. That's the, that's the law. So Jock stayed in this detention centre for a month and people, people were increasingly up in arms. People who might have thought of Jock as a monster before were up in arms because it wasn't about Jock anymore. It was about ordinary Bulgarians. Yeah. The rule of law is yeah. not applying in this country. And if they'll do it to him, a foreigner, who's at least got some kind of embassy backing behind him, what will happen to us? We could be picked up off the street, given a trumped-up charge and tossed in a prison or put into a detention centre. There's no rule of law. And that's really what's got to Bulgarians now. And that's in a sense where he's a lightning rod. It's not about whether he was guilty or innocent, although many Bulgarians, judges and lawyers and prosecutors who I spoke to when I was there a fortnight ago, many of them were questioning whether indeed his conviction was sound, whether he was guilty or innocent. But overridingly, it's a bigger thing. Um, he's become a symbol. What's happening to him in this limbo, this bizarre illegal limbo that he's in 
where he's been directed to leave the country on parole and yet he's suddenly not being allowed to leave the country. That's created this flashpoint for concerns Bulgarians already have about the rule of law in their country. And if Bulgaria is found to be not following its own laws, then Europe can censor it. To be a member state in the European Union, one of the requirements is that you follow, that countries, member states, follow their own rule of law. So finally, DFAT, or the Australian Foreign Minister, did intervene loudly and ask the European Commission to to intervene, to say, excuse me, you're not following the rules. You're not allowed to be part of our club and not follow your own rules. That, of course, gets even more pushback from nationalists who don't yeah. want yes. Europe. Yeah, they don't want to be told around. what to do. No. Well, look at Brexit. I mean... Well, look, England did the same thing. Melinda's book about the Palfreman story is called Every Parent's Nightmare. It's available now. There are links to her website and to the Australian Story episode on ABC iView in the show notes to this podcast and on our Facebook page. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. We'll be back next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, Michelle Laurie here, and as promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian True Crime Live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out.